A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, July 6th, 2022, the 532nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you who are listening to the podcast on the day of its release. If you are doing that, that means you are a paid subscriber to the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. If you are listening elsewhere and would like to hear the podcast on the day of its release, go to I'mYourModerator.Substack.com and sign up for a paid subscription. It is as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. That comes out to under a quarter per episode and you get all the writing up front and everything else I'm doing. And if you want to hear the podcast on the day of its release and you're having a hard time financially, get in touch with me. A couple of the Members of the Telegram chat have sponsored year-long subscriptions for people who can't afford it right now, and I'm happy to set you up with one of those. Just get in touch. So let's start off by talking about the media endgame, which is where I began this year's iteration of the podcast, talking about the fact that we have taken over control of the narrative. We are over the top of the hill and that the media collapse will only continue and quicken and get worse for them. And that will continue until we reach full exposure, 
which requires the public awakening to all of this, which means, unfortunately, that people are going to have to be brought to some precipice at which they will consider that maybe they need to change their minds, if nothing else. Naturally, many people were awake to all of this well before I was. And myself and many of us have been awake to all of this for a couple years or so now. And the unfortunate thing is that to bring people who have not yet reached a precipice to a precipice, it generally requires more bad things happening that affect all of us. So, hey, that sucks for us. But I got to give the real credit to all the people who were awake far longer than us and still made their way through. And I imagine how many times they have had to endure the same experience. So there were a couple of tweets from Glenn Greenwald yesterday. Glenn Greenwald is a reporter who became famous for exposing the Edward Snowden stuff back in the day. He is now living in Brazil and is still very much a leftist, but far more connected to reality, it seems, than most of the people who might share his continuing political affiliations. My general reading of his posts, which I do pay a fair deal of attention to, makes it seem like he is prepared to vote for Lula over Bolsonaro in Brazil, which means and indicates and implies at least that he's not awake to what the real global problem is. And so hopefully he will reach that point soon because it seems to me that he is trying to do his honest best and just isn't all the way there yet. And I appreciate those types of leftists much more than the ones on TV. So his tweets were regarding a Gallup poll that just came out. The first tweet he wrote, public trust in media is close to non-existent. This new Gallup poll reveals that only the Dem controlled Congress, 7%, is trusted less by the public than TV news at 11%, with newspapers, 16%, also near the bottom. Almost zero self-critique from journalists about why. So he includes the chart, and you can see all of this on the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator. I had it up yesterday. But you can see the screenshots from the article on the Gallup poll. And they had people declare their trust in different institutions. And so I'm going to go from most to least here. The most trusted institution Small business at 70%, which is down two points from last year. The military at 64%, which is down five points from last year. The police at 45% are the third most trusted institution, down six points from last year. We're already under 50% of the country trusting an institution. There are only two institutions on this list that beat 50%, and that's small business and the military. The police come in third. So we have small businesses, the military and the police being the top three most trusted institutions in our country. And which institutions do Democrats try to destroy the most? They crushed small business with covid. They're crushing the military with ridiculous foreign engagements and the woke culture being pushed into the military. 
They're turning our military into Marxists and they tried to defund the police. But let's continue on. Next is the medical system, then church or organized religion, which that seems crazy. If you trust (laughs) the medical system more than church at this point, man, that's rough. Although, on the other hand, it's worth noting that a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and priests, and we can move beyond churches to uh, rabbis, whatever, a lot of them went right along with the global agenda and brought it to their congregations. So people losing trust over that is actually not surprising. We go on to the public schools, only 28% trust now, down from last year. Organized labor, even with last year at 28 Banks down six points to 27. Large technology companies down three points to 26. The Supreme Court at 25. The presidency at 23. It has dropped 15% since last year. The Supreme Court dropped 11. Newspapers are down from 21% to 16. The criminal justice system has dropped from 20 to 14. Big business from 18 to 14. Television news down from 16% to 11%, and Congress is now at 7% down from 12 So according to this Gallup poll, every American institution is suffering a loss of trust from last year to this year. This is not something that should happen when the adults are back in the room. Greenwald goes on. The only reason these pitiful numbers for trust in media aren't zero is because Dems, of course, trust the media in far larger numbers, 35% for newspapers, than GOP and independents. Same with TV news. Everyone knows what side they're on. And so let's focus on those numbers for newspapers and TV news. Among Republicans from last year to this year, 8% to 5%. Among independents, this is newspapers, by the way, 19% down to 12%. And Democrats are still holding strong, only down from 38% to 35%. 35% of Democrats still trust their newspapers, compared to 12% of independents and 5% of Republicans. The television news, Republicans actually have trusted it more in the last year, which seems absolutely insane, but that's at 8%. Independents dropped from 13% to 8%. And Democrats dropped from 26% to 20%. So we have 20% of Democrats trusting the television news still. 35% of Democrats trusting the newspapers. We know that these media companies are owned by massive corporations, a very small number of corporations, six, I believe. And then there are investment companies and other global interests that control them above that. Democrats are more trusting of those news sources than independents and Republicans. They are the only people who still don't get it. If you trust these polls at all, regardless of the numbers, you can see where the country stands in terms of the parties. I mean, the numbers could be off by five or 10, but The Republicans, the independents and the Democrats really do separate this way in terms of their faith in the mainstream media. So it should be absolutely no surprise that they believe everything the mainstream media says and they push it onto other people 
while claiming that they don't believe everything the mainstream media says. Among those Democrats, maybe 35% say they trust the newspapers. But if you look at what their beliefs, their stated beliefs actually represent, the truth is they probably trust the newspapers and the television almost at a 100% level. They know that the institutions themselves can't be trusted, but they believe there's no way the story they're telling overall is wrong. They will excuse all the mistakes the media makes because they will think they will give them the benefit of the doubt and think that these are the most responsible people in the world and they have a really hard job and they're going to mess up sometimes because that's what they think of themselves. And they know that they are in some way exactly like the people on TV. And I've talked about this at length over the years. This is about the party of false decorum. They do not want to agree with what the people like them say or the people better than them say, because they are concerned with maintaining their position in the social strata by going along with the central narrative. They know there is reward there. They know there is nothing but punishment for disagreeing. So they go along. They comply. They do whatever they're told. They repeat the slogans. They celebrate the holidays when they're called upon, like on George Floyd Day. They'll post a black square. They'll do whatever they need to do. Now, it's obviously good news to see that Republicans and independents are not falling for the mainstream media narrative and haven't been. But the problem is that Democrats are still in control of the culture. And more accurately, the Uniparty is still in control of the culture, the establishment the global order, the liberal world order, as Brian Deese, one of Joe Biden's advisors, says. That's not me saying it. It's Biden's guy saying it. So if they're talking about a liberal world order and the word liberal is really only a soft version, the way they define it, of communism. I'm not saying there's not a legitimate definition of liberal that has differences between that and communism. I accept that. I'm not questioning that at all. But if they're calling it the liberal world order, leave the liberal aside. Focus on the fact that they're talking about a world order. That requires planning with other countries around the world about what that world order will look like. And if we're the strongest country, if we're the model for what a country is capable of, if we're the most successful and powerful company with the most money, then a president who chooses to align with a world order is by definition harming America for the good of other countries. Now, they'll claim that what they're doing, that the world order is actually best for America and best for Americans, but they haven't been right about it so far. It wasn't a good thing to empower the Chinese Communist Party, but they did it. So with their control over media, their control over institutions, their control over entertainment, their control over social media. They do in some way control the culture. And for most of this time, this is obviously waning and maybe it's just about gone. But with their control of the culture, they were able to impose 
punishments for going against them and incentives for compliance. But the problem is to get people to continue doing that over a long enough timeline, you kind of have to make sure the people actually continue to believe you and trust you. And they've lost that completely. People are seeing the truth and people are speaking the truth. Now, there are a couple of other poll numbers out there that are pretty interesting in the last day or so. The conservative treehouse highlighted a Monmouth poll. They compiled the top 22 priorities of the American people. Ukraine and Russia and the January 6th committee do not appear on the list. At the top of the list were inflation, gas prices, the economy, everyday bills, Abortion made it in there at 5%, but you can go down through guns, healthcare, job security, college tuition, housing, crime, civil rights, climate change, coronavirus. All of these are under 5% in terms of people's top priorities. Education, family illness, quality of government, social security, taxes. Then you go even lower down that to zeros. And you still don't see the January 6th committee or the Russia-Ukraine situation. And then there was a Harvard-Harris poll that showed nearly two-thirds of voters think Biden's too old for the job and 60% now doubt his mental fitness for president. And hey, I'm with you. All of this is frustrating. All of it feels like it's taking way too long. It is a struggle to maintain one's faith that we are moving towards something better. But when you hear these sorts of polling numbers, you should understand that the country is coming to our position and the media might describe it all as political. It's a question of Trump or Biden, Republican or Democrat, and people in their minds might feel that as well. But that is one of the first steps to breaking out of the thing is realizing that your party isn't always right. And in fact, both parties are almost completely terrible. The establishment of both parties needs to be absolutely eradicated from politics. And of course, the Democrat complicity with election fraud means all Democrats should be gone. All the establishment Republicans who were complicit in election fraud should be gone as well. Don't get me wrong. Literally, that's the standard for me. Position on election fraud means absolutely everything. And then there are some numbers from Rasmussen. Less than half, 48% of Democrats believe Biden should run for reelection, while 33% don't and 19% are undecided. And that's actually a good view of what Democrats think about Joe Biden. John McLaughlin was on the Lou Dobbs podcast this morning and noted that when Democrats are presented with a number of choices about who the nominee should be in 2024, only 28 percent said Joe Biden. And I think that that's a bit more telling. That's a more real situation to them. What happens when it's Joe Biden or maybe someone else? 72% say someone else. That's kind of a more grounded idea than should Biden run again or not, which to most Democrats, I imagine, would sound like, is Joe Biden doing a good job 
if you say that you don't think he should run again, then you're saying he's doing a bad job. And then what are you, some kind of Trump supporter? But what about media figures who are not commonly thought of as being in the mainstream? I've talked about people like this a bunch of times, and I've talked about both of these people a bunch of times. Joe Rogan was on Lex Friedman's podcast, and he had this to say about Donald Trump. And um, by the way, I'm not a Trump supporter in any way, shape or form. I've had the opportunity to have him on my show more than once. I've said no every time. I don't want to help him. I'm not interested in helping the, him. The, the, the night is still young. We'll see. If I have him on, the night yeah. is still young? Yeah. You think well, I'll have him on? I think you'll have him on. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that? Because you'll have Putin on? So that's the first clip. And in the interest of time, I'm cutting out a section in the middle where he's talking about Alex Jones and why it's okay for Alex Jones to be on the show. Um, like people, people like Kanye on, for example, and yeah. you had a great conversation with him. I think you, I, I think, uh, yeah, but Kanye is an artist, like, but Kanye doing well or not doing well doesn't change the course of our country. Yeah. But you don't, do you really bear the responsibility of the course of our country based on a conversation? I think you can revitalize and rehabilitate someone's image in a way that is pretty shocking. So basically, this is the same argument that social justice warriors on college campuses use when they want to make sure that a speaker isn't allowed to speak at their university. They say they're not for censorship, but they don't want to give a person a platform. Because if you give them the platform, well, then people are going to listen to them. Their public image might be rehabilitated in some way by the public actually listening to them. And then you have altered the course of the country, which, you know, it's going so great right now. Why would you want to let people hear from Donald Trump and perhaps open their minds that a lot of the stuff being said and that has been said about Donald Trump is just flat out nonsense? It is a form of passive censorship. Joe Rogan is saying that just like the mainstream media, he's not going to have Donald Trump on to let him talk. It's pretty pathetic. And it just makes me think that what Rogan cares about the most is the feedback he's going to get from all of the other guests that come on his show. Will guests start saying I'm never going on Joe Rogan again because Donald Trump got a platform there? That is entirely possible, especially for people like Sam Harris, who have proven that they care more about controlling the direction of the popular conversation rather than loyalty to their own friends like his falling out with Brett Weinstein. Joe Rogan would be called out relentlessly and they would attempt to cancel him for putting Donald Trump on. And he knows that. But this is his excuse. And then in the middle of the Alex Jones talk, he drops this absolute red pill for all of the child brains in his audience. He is genuinely trying to unearth some things that are genuinely disturbing for most people. Like, this is a guy that was telling me about Epstein's uh, island fucking decade ago, at least. He was telling me about it. I was like, what? You're telling me there's a place where they bring elites 
to compromise them with underage girls and they filmed them. Really? Like, what? Cut the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, no, President Clinton's been there. Everyone's been there. Like, what? It sounds like nonsense. And not only is it true, but people keep getting fucking murdered for it. Did you see that latest Clinton advisor that got murdered about yep. it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Hung with an extension cord, shot himself in the chest 30 miles from his house, and they're calling it a suicide. And now even Elon Musk is asking, where's the clientele list? Yeah. We should, we should probably see who's been to that island. Yeah, we should probably see who's been to that island. And there's probably more of those kind of things out there that haven't been exposed. So you go immediately from saying that you won't give Trump a platform to just blasting off on Jeffrey Epstein and the cover-up of that Epstein story and talking about how Alex Jones was right this whole time and was saying it a decade ago. And when he does stuff like that, I'm like, is he just more clever than all of us? Like, does he make this video go viral by saying he doesn't want to have Trump on? That becomes the story. And then everybody takes this jagged little pill about the Jeffrey Epstein story. And maybe I'm giving him too much credit by thinking that. But listen to this little compilation that MSNBC put together for Morning Joe today. South Dakota's Republican Governor Christy Nome speaking on Sunday with CNN. The Indianapolis Star is reporting that a 10-year-old girl in Ohio who was six weeks and three days pregnant now has to travel across state lines to Indiana to receive an abortion. So I just, mm -hmm. because this is a trigger law that was passed before you became governor, I wanted you to be clear. Will the state of South Dakota going forward force a 10-year-old in that very same situation to have a baby? In South Dakota, the law today is that the abortions are illegal except to save the life of and the mother. Here are some of the answers in a recent Republican primary debate for Arizona governor. I'd actually like to ask everybody on this stage if they would agree we had a corrupt stolen election. Raise your hand. Why can't we treat human life in the same way that we would treat alien life? I'm pro-life from conception to death. And I believe no exceptions for rape or incest. Well, that's a gray area. Abortion is evidence that we have failed women. So here are some of the candidates in a Republican primary debate for Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney's Wyoming congressional seat. Take a listen. I think that uh, Mr. Fauci is one of the most corrupt individuals in Washington, D.C., which is saying a lot. The coronavirus was actually, it's engineered to attack what we are susceptible to. You have the Department of Education pursuing radical gender ideology and pursuing things that are, that again, are so anti-American. What about uh, 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 Facebook? Uh, Using the, uh, the the system to 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 steer people, uh, we we know for a fact all the major internets do that. What people are concerned about in terms of the J six uh, committee is is just totally unfair and so contrary to everything that our country stands for. In contrast, Congresswoman Cheney warns the Republican Party cannot survive if if it remains the party of Trump. So MSNBC believes that is a compilation that is going to make Republicans look crazy. And don't get me wrong. A couple of the statements in there sounded crazy. Things about rights for aliens 
and the Internet. Those clips are in there totally out of context. I don't know what those guys were talking about, but those clips are in there to make everything else look stupid. The entire audience is supposed to understand that everybody knows Republicans are crazy. Here's a bunch of crazy things that Republicans are saying. They broadcast all these statements to the child brains in their audience. And how do those child brains react? Well, first, they're going to be like, yeah, Republicans are crazy. But there were so many different topics covered in that little compilation, almost Everyone in their audience is going to have something in there that they think, oh, yeah, that's right. Why are they calling that crazy? And of course, I'm not trying to ascribe good intent to MSNBC or to Morning Mika. By the way, hat tip to War Room for putting this in front of me this morning. But regardless of their intent, They're showing Republican candidates saying things that most Americans now know to be true and absolutely not crazy. So that's my more optimistic interpretation of what Rogan's doing. I don't really have any solid reason to believe that at this point. But hey, benefit of the doubt to Joe Rogan. Yeah, but sort of uh, to push back. In you, you had those conversations with Alex Jones. Wouldn't you be able to have the same kind of conversation with Donald yeah, Trump? That's the problem. Reveal? No, it's not the problem. You revealed that Alex Jones is a human being. Yeah. He's fucked up. He has demons in his head. He's obviously chaotic all over the place, but there's some uh, wisdom to the perspective he takes on the world, even if though he is often full of shit, he's able to predict certain things that very few people are, are willing to bring up. So isn't Trump the same way? Fucked up person, egomaniac, uh, whatever personality things you can talk about, isn't it worthwhile to lay it out? Like who's going to, if you listen to interviews of Trump, who has the balls to call him out on this bullshit? Chris Wallace did. And that is a complete and total record scratch. What is he talking about? Chris Wallace had the balls to call Trump on his shit. First of all, Trump isn't relaying shit when he's in the debate that Chris Wallace moderated or when he's doing interviews on Fox News with Chris Wallace. The only reason anyone believed that Trump was lying or mistaken in those circumstances is because they've already accepted the entirety of the central narrative that says Donald Trump is a lie and everything Donald Trump says is false. The idea that he's doing any of this because of his ego is utter lunacy. Why would anyone put up with all this stuff for their ego? If he was obsessed with ego, why didn't he take all of the rewards he could have taken by never running for president in the first place or going quietly into that good night after the fake inauguration last year. We have these dudes worried about saying the wrong thing and getting canceled or having the wrong guest on. And we got Donald Trump who has taken more crap from the entire world nonstop for over seven years now. Why would anyone with a fragile ego do that? Uh, no, calling out somebody on their bullshit is easy when you're just being adversarial. But as a person who is genuinely empathetically trying to understand, yeah, I think you're really good at that. Like you pull them in. I don't in. know if he would genuinely be there. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I think he would be putting on a performance, and that's. You don't think he can break through that in like 30 minutes? I'd need more time than that. <laughs> and he doesn't do any drugs. That's oh, the thing about Alex. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. get Alex high, yeah. get him drunk, and he'll start talking about inter interdimensional child molesters. Yeah. You know, and then you you get the real Alex. Or maybe maybe you have somebody else on as well to introduce chaos, like Alex. No, 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 no. They have to be one. Uh, I would have to be just me and him. I would have to. That would be a focused thing. I would have to like really take time with with Trump. But also, I'm not um, well versed enough to politically to know yeah. all of the corruption that's been alleged and to understand what the the whole Russia Gate stuff. What what's real? Like how much of it? It's clear that there is more than one organization that's involved in communicating with Russia before the 2016 election. So it was, it's pretty clear that the Clinton administration was involved. It's pretty clear that, that the Trump administration had some communication with some people in Russia. It's pretty clear that Hunter Biden had some very suspicious dealings in Ukraine. And there's a lot going on there, man. And it's, it's hard for anybody to parse. It's really hard for anybody, and especially to have an objective assessment of uh, exactly what's going on, and then to be able to do that and broadcast it publicly. That's quite a project. And I think if you really want to do that correctly, it's something that I would have to research for a long time and to really, really, sp and I don't have that kind of time. So it basically sounds like Joe Rogan is scared of getting schooled by Trump on politics. That's how I take it. How can you go out and admit that you don't know the critical factors? You don't understand the corruption. You don't even understand Russiagate. But you're sure that it's dangerous to let Donald Trump tell his side of all those things. And right there, you have the problem with all right of center mainstream media. And I'm talking about people who aren't independently doing this stuff on their own for the sake of exposing the truth. Rogan has a $300 million contract with Spotify. Spotify certainly does not want to have Donald Trump become the number one Joe Rogan episode of all time. And that would 100% happen. There would be no question about it. But the problem is he just doesn't want to do it. And I'm not sure what his reasons are. Maybe he's part of some sort of grand plan. I guess there is some minute possibility that that's true. And so I'll stay open minded about it. But this seems to be the same stance he had a few months ago when Spotify started getting heat about Rogan's podcasts with Robert Malone and Peter McCullough. Rogan came out and said, you know, I understand if they want to put like a warning label on one of the episodes or if they need to take this or that episode down. And it's like, yeah, man, because you're the guy with the three hundred million dollar contract. But what you're saying, what you're doing is you're making an argument on why Spotify should be allowed to censor things if there is any doubt about whether or not what the person is saying is true. But again, that only goes in one direction. You can pick out any Joe Rogan podcast and find over the course of three hours from anyone mistakes they've made or information that they except even though it's not true. And I'm sure you could do the same to me. I'm not going to get everything right, but it's important to realize there's another side of all this stuff. Donald Trump could absolutely 
explain Russiagate to Joe Rogan. He could absolutely explain the Ukraine impeachment and what the Bidens were doing over there. He could do all of that for Joe Rogan. And then Joe Rogan and Spotify could send out a team of fact checkers and they would all say that Trump got this wrong or Trump got that wrong. But the underlying story that Donald Trump would be telling is indisputably true. And if you want to verify all of the key parts of the story, you can actually go back and research those and find out that the things he's saying are true. I know you can do that because I've done it. That was part of what changed my mind in the first place. Oh, wait, maybe Donald Trump is saying something true. Maybe instead of listening to the television about whether or not Donald Trump is a liar, I should look up these facts for myself and find out. So anyway, I will remain holding out hope for Joe Rogan. I've said this over many times over the course of the last year, but I'm not sure that that hope will be rewarded at this point. So let's discuss Alex Berenson. This is from last week in Breitbart. Journalist Alex Berenson settles lawsuit with Twitter. Science writer and prominent skeptic of official coronavirus policies, Alex Berenson has settled his lawsuit with Twitter which he brought against the tech company after it blacklisted him in 2021. As Breitbart News reported at the time, Berenson, a former science writer for the New York Times, was blacklisted after he questioned the efficacy of vaccines against coronavirus. Prior to his ban, Berenson had tweeted about vaccines failure to stop the infection and transmission of the virus, a tweet that Twitter labeled misleading. It doesn't stop infection or transmission, tweeted Berenson. Don't think of it as a vaccine. Think of it at best, as a therapeutic with a limited window of efficacy and terrible side effect profile that must be dosed in advance of illness. And we want to mandate it? Insanity. Now, that tweet is just fine. It's probably six months or nine months or a year behind when we all knew it. And this was around the time that the CDC and all of the other public authorities and even the people on television we're claiming the exact same thing, that the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission or infection. They just continued claiming that it prevents serious illness and death, which it also does not do. And of course, Alex Berenson did not mention that. Berenson posted news of the settlement on his Substack newsletter, Unreported Truths. Most of the settlement's details are confidential. But Berenson stressed his belief that Twitter agreeing to settle had nothing to do with Elon Musk's attempted purchase of the company, which the Tesla and SpaceX CEO initiated while the lawsuit was ongoing. At least from my point of view, Elon Musk had nothing to do with what's happening here. I emailed Musk briefly about the suit in April after Twitter accepted his offer and before Judge William Alsup rejected Twitter's motion to dismiss and allowed my lawsuit to proceed. At the hearing on April 28th, Alsop himself raised the question of whether Musk's purchase would make the lawsuit moot. Musk didn't email back. The last time I've heard from him was last year. Whether the deal played any role in Twitter's decision to settle is a question you'll have to ask them, but I mostly doubt it, given the fact that no one really knows if, much less when, it will close. Citing Musk's links to China, Berenson concluded by saying he was less than the ideal First Amendment hero, and that his quote-unquote commitment to free speech may be absolute in principle, but it's been spotty in practice, as more than one Tesla whistleblower will attest. So Alex Berenson 
was wearing his big boy pants. Elon Musk didn't help him. He won his Twitter suit. He agreed in a settlement to never discuss the details of the settlement. And he thinks all of this is a great victory for free speech to the point where he's able to judge whether or not Elon Musk is a proper custodian of free speech. Hey, Alex Berenson, you censored yourself or lied for the entirety of your coronavirus coverage, because surely you must have known there was other information out there, information that you would continually report three months or six months or nine months or a year later than it actually came out. So you self-censored to stay on the platform and to stay in the party of false decorum. You finally got banned anyway and decided that because now it was you getting banned, you should sue and that the goal of your lawsuit is to get back on Twitter and get paid and you don't care one bit about free speech. And so people began calling Alex Berenson out about this on Twitter. One of them was Jordan Schachtel, who does actual good coronavirus research and has always been far ahead of the curve, which means he's been far ahead of Alex Berenson. And Alex Berenson blocked him and threatened to sue him if he didn't keep going after him. That is your new pathetic champion of free speech. Alex Berenson posted this today on his Substack. At Alex Berenson, hello, Twitter. He's celebrating getting back on Twitter. He wrote himself a welcome back to Twitter article. Let's get the official statement, the reinstatement statement out of the way first. I should do his voice, but man, I don't always feel it. The parties have come to a mutually acceptable resolution. I have been reinstated. Twitter has acknowledged that my tweets should not have led to my suspension at that time. Take a look at that third sentence again. Twitter has acknowledged that my tweets should have not led to my suspension at that time. Oh, yeah, I think you got this wrong. And he posts a screenshot of his suspension notice, which many of us have gotten. To recap, last August, Twitter banned me after I got five strikes under its COVID-19 misinformation policy, which meant I'd supposedly made claims of fact that were demonstrably false or misleading and likely to impact public safety or cause serious harm. That's the policy. That's what it takes to get a strike. Look it up. Now we come to find those tweets should not have led to my suspension. Oopsie. Hey, everybody makes mistakes. Not everybody's mistakes lead to a worldwide series of defamatory articles like this one, though. Oh, he got called a conspiracy theorist by Business Insider. How did he get through it? All in the past, though, the little bird and I are now best of friends. And I can't wait for Insider and NBC News and everyone else who drooled over my suspension in August 2021 and later to devote equal space to the fact that I'm back and Twitter's admission, it should not have banned me. Well, that's not a sentence. Much more, actually, because this has never happened before. You know what it took Twitter to admit it shouldn't have done what it did? You do not. And I can't tell you because the statement is all I can say about the settlement, except I need to add one thing. The settlement does not end my investigation into the pressures that the government may have placed on Twitter to suspend my account. 
I will have more to say on that issue in the near future. I made a promise to readers last month, and I take my promises to readers seriously. So Alex Berenson is singing his own praises, a champion of free speech, because he got Twitter to put him back on the platform and give him money rather than actually pursuing his lawsuit to expose what Twitter did and to make them stop doing it to everyone else. And looking back on the last two years of Alex Berenson's presence, it's interesting that he's always referred to as a former writer for the New York Times. That adds to his gravitas to a lot of people still. That means Alex Berenson is a very serious researcher, whereas everyone else on the Internet is a crackpot. And now he has forced his way back onto the platform. He remains in the party of false decorum, which is what he has been so desperate to maintain this entire time. And the reason why he was always trying to conform to Twitter's standards. And that's especially crazy because the guy has the ability to attract an audience on other platforms. I'm not going to deny him that. I'm not impressed by his work. I think it is always behind and built on the foundation of much more honest and much better people's work. But he certainly must know how to speak to some group of people who believe they're centrists and that the government was just a little wrong about COVID. <laughs> they're probably certainly right about the election, but yeah, dead wrong about COVID, dead wrong about the pandemic. One of the most important crises in American history, and they were dead wrong, but they're probably right about everything else. That's what you have to remember. And by the way, Alex Berenson, never Trump, Trump hater, and believes that everybody who thinks election fraud is an actual fact about reality are all crazy. And when did I say all this? Ah, a year ago, year and a half ago, probably the entire time, really. Eh, same thing with Rogan and same thing with Glenn Youngkin, if you listen to yesterday's show. Called that shot in October of last year. And what's this? Whoa, another thing I totally nailed a very long time ago. Yes. You hear the term invasion, and that's exactly what this is. But you hear the term immigration, and I'm going to tell you, this is not immigration. This is slave trade. We deal with this every day in our counties. These individuals that are being brought to us coming through our county and we are intercepting, they are not free to go. They are the property of the cartels who get them to Houston and then move them around the country where they have to work off their indebtedness to the cartel one way or another. Whether that be unloading drugs, selling drugs, working in restaurants, working in hotels, or whether it be forced prostitution all across the United States of America. These individuals are not free. We're importing a peon class, and we are allowing the cartels to do it. It is an invasion that is being pushed by the cartels into our country, and it must come to a stop. That is an accurate description of what's happening with immigration from someone who would know. Does that description sound like a bunch of people fleeing climate change in search of a better life? Or does that sound like a slave trade? Now, the cartels are operating it, but on whose behalf are the cartels operating it? It's not just about cartel money. 
Because if that was the case, maybe our federal government would have a reason to put a stop to it. So you only have to ask, well, who else benefits from it? Turns out global communist agenda benefits from it. The Democrat Party benefits from it. Corporations benefit from it. And it's not hard to prove any of that whatsoever. The global communists have operations like this all around the world. The Democrat Party and the Uniparty exploit these people's presence in the country for their political power, often signing them up for driver's licenses at the DMV, where they are automatically registered to vote. And then the corporations exploit their cheap labor. Now, that little clip was from a press conference yesterday in Texas covered here by the New York Post. Texas counties declare invasion during border crisis. We're being invaded. Several Texas counties declared a border invasion on Tuesday in a move to pressure the state's governor to issue a similar declaration. The statement doesn't grant the counties any kind of additional legal authority and may not even be legal, but officials hoped it would bring attention to the border crisis. We're being invaded. The facts are there, said Kinney County Judge Tully Shahan at a press conference in Brackettville, Texas. This is real. We want America to know this is real. America doesn't know what's happening here. County officials from Kinney, Goliad, Terrell and Uvalde counties criticized the Biden administration for what they called its open border policy. The officials each shared stories of how their communities are being inundated by immigrants as humans and drugs are smuggled through their small towns on a daily basis. The number of reported migrant encounters along the U.S.-Mexico border once again made history in May, hitting a staggering 239,416 encounters, according to the latest available monthly Customs and Border Patrol statistics. And that doesn't count gotaways. The counties were contacted by a former President Donald Trump official, Ken Cuccinelli, who has talked them into believing they can use the self-help provision of the Constitution to declare an invasion. This gives the governor, decided similarly, the authority to repel that invasion, Cuccinelli said at the press conference today. The former Donald Trump Department of Homeland Security official claims that now that the Kinney County attorney, a legal authority, has declared an invasion, Governor Greg Abbott can repeal immigrants, and I think maybe they mean repel. He envisions a Title 42-style program where immigrants, even those seeking asylum, are automatically deported if they cross into the Texas border. That should be the default state of affairs in the United States always and permanently. It's so crazy that that is controversial. The Center for Renewing America has been reaching out to states and counties across the country, looking for any local government that would be willing to go along with it, a spokeswoman for the organization told the New York Post. A Fox News legal analyst said this likely wouldn't service a court challenge. As they say in Texas, this dog won't hunt. They're relying on the guarantee clause of Article 4, Section 4, and that deals with an invasion, which is generally interpreted and long interpreted to mean an actual foreign invasion in the form of an army, an organized force, said Jonathan Turley on Fox News. Maybe he's missing the fact that this actually is an organized force. In the past, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has resisted calls by the same group to declare an invasion, according to the Texas Tribune. Now, who knows what is going to happen here or if anything will happen 
Greg Abbott has more or less stood by while this invasion has occurred across Texas's border for the last year and a half plus. So there's no reason that anyone should expect much out of him. But we shall see. It is an election year for Abbott, as it is for obviously many other Texas politicians and officials. So it's possible that with enough public momentum, something actually could get done here. And this kind of goes along with an overarching theory of mine that we will continue to see all of these incidents occur and occur and occur again until we get down to the basic roots of all of these problems and the basic roots of their solutions, which exist in the Constitution. This isn't just about getting Joe Biden to stop pursuing this immigration program. It's about the country retaking the power that is vested in the people and at the local level and at the county level and the state level so that everyone retakes the power that they are supposed to possess. And where is the power being taken from? A corrupt federal government that is bloated with pointless bureaucracies and exists only to send money around the world to aid in the cause of the implementation of this global communist order, or as termed by Joe Biden's advisor, Brian Deese, the liberal world order. And let's be clear, federal government money does pay the NGOs that work hand in hand with the cartels to operate this immigration program. Now, we have long known about immigrants being exploited for their cheap labor, often by mega corporations. And that is part of the reason that a lot of mega donors and politicians and institutions on the right take a soft stance on immigration because they want to exploit the labor. Everybody pretty much accepts that that's true, but people don't accept the idea that Democrats are actually exploiting illegal immigrants for their political power. That seems too far out. And also, if they were to accept the truth of that, then they would also have to accept that perhaps the 2020 election was stolen. And so they don't want to go down that road at all. And because they don't want to go down that road, that means we have to take them there. So we've discussed many times how New York City passed a law that has recently been overturned by the courts to allow 800,000 non-citizen residents to vote in local New York City elections. But that's not enough to prove that they want to do that everywhere if you don't know anything about what they're trying to do. This is from The Hill today. DOJ sues Arizona over proof of citizenship voter law. The DOJ, under the illegitimate president, is suing a state to make sure that that state can't verify that the voters are American citizens. Now, that fact alone should be enough to convince anyone that having illegal immigrants come here to cast votes is part of the agenda. And it should convince them at that point that it didn't just start, that it has been happening. And every time they debunk the idea that illegal immigrants vote in American elections, they're just simply wrong. But since people won't be totally convinced just by me saying it, let's go through the article. 
The Department of Justice is suing the state of Arizona, seeking to block a law that would force residents to provide proof of citizenship in order to vote in federal elections, federal elections. That means for the Congress and the Senate and the president. And think about the directionality of this. Okay, in New York, the illegitimate city council passed their standard that they would allow these 800,000 illegal immigrants to vote. The courts overturned it. And that would be the common way that something so outlandish would be put into law. But the courts overturned it. Arizona is basically the opposite situation. The state wants to make sure that illegal immigrants cannot vote in their elections. They want people to provide proof of citizenship in order to vote. That is what we all assume is the default position. That is what we have always been told. The media continues to tell us that illegal immigrants do not vote in American elections. That's false. Arizona is trying to make sure that the default position, the legal position, the position that we expect as citizens of this country is actually upheld and the DOJ isn't okay with it. So what is the indication here? They want to ensure that illegal immigrants can legally vote in Arizona elections. So when you see the DOJ acting to stop the implementation of what we all assume is the default position. What does that mean? It means we're wrong about the default position and what's been happening around the country in terms of elections. Yes, the administration did push for H.R. 1, where they would have allowed illegal immigrants to vote. But there was no chance that was going to pass. So now they are trying to do it in an entirely new way. And it seems like they want to establish legal precedent that it actually is okay for illegal immigrants to vote in American federal elections. The DOJ argues the requirement part of HB 2492 slated to take effect in January is a textbook violation of the National Voter Registration Act. The suit argues that the requirement to provide proof of citizenship would violate not just the 1993 law addressing voter registration, but also the Civil Rights Act of 1964. For nearly three decades, the National Voter Registration Act has helped to move states in the right direction by eliminating unnecessary requirements that have historically made it harder for eligible voters to access the registration rolls. Arizona has passed a law that turns the clock back on progress by imposing unlawful and unnecessary requirements that would block eligible voters from the registration rolls for certain federal elections. Kristen Clark, assistant attorney general for the Civil Rights Division, said in a statement, you got that? So their default position is that illegal immigrants should be able to vote in federal elections and they want them to be able to register. This might threaten their DMV registration programs. And how about that timing on this Arizona law it takes effect in January, not before this election, which they intend to steal and will then just reverse all that. It doesn't take effect until 2023. So I guess congratulations, Arizona Republicans. But listen to the language in this statement. They want to move states in the right direction. They want to eliminate unnecessary requirements that have made it harder for eligible voters 
to access registration rolls. Well, the point is illegal immigrants are not eligible voters. They are acting like somehow Americans would not be able to provide proof that they are American. That's not what's happening. That's basically the same structure of the argument when they say that forcing voters to produce an ID to vote is racist against black people who can't figure out how to get IDs. They are taking some obscure and minute problem that affects almost no one and pretending that that is the normal state of play for the entire country. How many Americans can't produce proof that they are American when they register to vote? How many black people can't figure out how to get ID? These are not real problems. The DOJ believes that this will turn the clocks back by imposing unlawful and unnecessary requirements that would block eligible voters. They're not eligible voters. This isn't turning the clock back. And turning the clock back to a time when the law was followed is not some example of this insane regression of society, unless you assume that illegal immigrants should all be allowed to vote in American elections. And that only makes sense if you understand and accept and welcome the global communist order. I mean, the liberal world order where you fully embrace globalism. And every citizen everywhere, who's not part of the club, at least, is exactly equal in every way. American citizens don't deserve anything special compared to citizens of the other countries. Therefore, the citizens of all those countries can simply come and live in America if that's what they want to do. So long as they vote to support the Uniparty and so long as they're willing to have their labor exploited or perhaps be raped on the journey. The Arizona law could remove... Tens of thousands of people from voting rolls. Tens of thousands? Well, how's that? Tens of thousands of Arizona voters are not able to produce proof of citizenship? Well, the last presidential election in Arizona, the election in 2020, that was decided by about 10,000 votes. You're telling me tens of thousands of Arizona voters can't produce proof of citizenship? Man, I wonder if that could have affected the 2020 election. The state already has a bifurcated system after a 2004 ballot measure allowed Arizona officials to ask for proof of citizenship for anyone registering to vote after 2005. But the new law would eliminate a provision that grandfathers in those who may have registered to vote decades before that, blocking them from voting in federal elections. Data provided by the state indicates there are some 11,600 federal only voters who have not provided the proof of citizenship necessary to vote in state elections. But NPR estimates show as many as 192,000 voters could be removed from rolls if the new law takes effect. Oh, yeah, that is definitely tens of thousands. The DOJ argues the new law also runs afoul of a 2013 Supreme Court ruling stemming from another Arizona suit, noting that the state can't impose the proof of citizenship requirement on those who register to vote using the federal form. Arizona is a repeat offender when it comes to attempts to make it harder to register to vote, Clark said in a call with reporters. Arizona's own nonpartisan legislative council 
warns legislators that the NVRA preempts HB 2492's documentary proof of citizenship requirements for applicants completing the federal form who seek to vote in federal elections. Nonetheless, the legislature ignored these warnings and enacted HB 2492 anyway, she added. When Arizona Governor Doug Ducey signed the law in March, he said it was necessary for prohibiting any attempt to illegally cast a vote. Now, Doug Ducey does not care about preventing attempts to illegally cast votes. Doug Ducey is one of the people most responsible for allowing the stolen election of 2020 to be certified. Now, I'm going to go a little long today because there's a couple more things that I want to get to. The first has been widely reported this morning, but as always, it's more fun to dunk on the New York Times whenever you have the opportunity. And the best opportunities to dunk on the New York Times are when they are forced to put out stories and headlines that completely eradicate the narrative they've been pushing for a very, very long time. And today we have that opportunity. The headline is Europe calls gas and nuclear energy green. And that should be a bit of a record scratch as well. In a landmark vote for Europe's climate and energy policies, the European Parliament on Wednesday endorsed labeling some gas and nuclear energy projects as green, allowing them access to hundreds of billions of euros in cheap loans and even state subsidies. Sounds like someone is choosing the real world over the made up world in the media where you can destroy relationships with Russia and still expect to have enough energy to run your society on windmills and solar panels. These morons. The decision placed the European Union's heavy thumb on the scale of a global debate about how and how quickly major industrial economies can move from their heavy reliance on fossil fuels. And it immediately proved controversial, prompting boos from inside and outside the parliamentary building in Strasbourg, France. I love it. I love it when they have to report that there is like this mass opposition to everything good that ever happens. And that mass opposition always amounts to a bunch of activists booing. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. Critics said it would lock in and prolong Europe's reliance on fossil fuels. While the measure's proponents, including in the European Commission, the EU executive arm that drafted it, said it was part of a pragmatic approach to the transition to renewable energy, especially as Europe seeks to wean itself off Russian fuel imports in the wake of the invasion of Ukraine. The measure had been in the works even before Russia's tanks crossed the border, but it gained urgency as the European Union responded to the invasion by banning Russian energy sources, including most coal and oil. Left untouched has been Russian gas, on which Europe remains heavily dependent. Oh, wait a second. They were already thinking of doing this before the invasion? Europe was already facing an energy crisis based on the fact that they were trying to get all their energy from windmills and solar panels. I am shocked. The Russian invasion presented European countries with an urgent choice to get gas from anywhere other than Russia or double down on renewable sources like wind and solar. Wait a second. Seems like there must have been another choice here. Oh, here it is. 
Wednesday's vote signaled Europe's intention to prolong its reliance on gas, the principal component of which is methane, which speeds up global warming. So basically, they were facing an energy crisis before the thing with Russia. The thing with Russia has exacerbated their energy crisis. They did not get gas from somewhere other than Russia, and they did not double down on renewable sources like wind and solar. It is amazing what the New York Times is trying to do here. They're trying to thread an impossible needle. And by the way, I shouldn't say it's impossible for 10 or 15 percent of this country. This story makes absolute sense the way they're presenting it. And they will take exactly from the New York Times what they are meant to take, which is Putin is so bad that now he's making Europe help the sun attack the earth. The choice could undermine a competing European imperative to cut its greenhouse gas emissions by more than half by 2030. E3G, an energy research group, said it was at odds with the overall direction the EU is taking. Well, I'm not sure that's true. It seems like the European Union has had to pursue a new direction, one that actually works. Thanks, Putin, or as the Democrats would say. Yeah, thanks, Putin. I mean, honestly, how do you recover from a narrative breakdown like this? This is spectacular. The European Union is always so advanced. They are always so much more progressive than we are. And it turns out none of it worked. So I guess they just have to try to blame it on Putin. As always, it's always Putin's fault. And now finally for... Someone who also believes everything is Putin's fault. Let's go to the mouthpiece of Global Communism Project Syndicate and an article posted on July 4th from none other than George Soros himself. This is how he helps celebrate the birthday of America. The headline is U.S. Democracy Under Concerted Attack. The United States has been a constantly evolving democracy ever since it was founded in 1776, but its survival as a democracy is now gravely endangered. A set of loosely interconnected developments at home and abroad is responsible for this crisis. Now, the United States was founded as a constitutional republic, and it remains one to this day to some degree. The goal is not to destroy democracy. It is to restore the constitutional republic so that democracy at lower levels can actually function, which necessitates the ability to have free and fair elections. From abroad, the U.S. is threatened by repressive regimes led by Xi Jinping in China and Vladimir Putin's Russia, who want to impose an autocratic form of government on the world. No, there's not actually any indication that Vladimir Putin wants to do that. But the threat to the U.S. from the domestic enemies of democracy is even greater. They include the current Supreme Court, which is dominated by far-right extremists, and Donald Trump's Republican Party, which placed those extremists on the court. You got that? Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh are extremists. What qualifies the majority of the court as extremists? It is not merely their decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, the landmark 1973 case that recognized a woman's right to choose whether to give birth, not what it did. 
What qualifies them as extremists is the arguments they used to justify their decision and the indications they gave of how far they might be willing to go in carrying out those arguments. Yes, their arguments were based on the words in the Constitution, and it's possible that they will go even further to affirm the words in the Constitution. You got that right, George. Justice Samuel Alito, the author of the majority opinion, based his ruling on the assertion that the 14th Amendment protects only those rights that were generally recognized in 1868 when the amendment was ratified. But this argument endangers many other rights that have been recognized since then, among them the right to contraception, same-sex marriage, and LGBTQ rights. And again, he's not using the word rights correctly. Carried to its logical conclusion, this line of reasoning could even allow states to ban interracial marriage, as some did until 1967. It is also clear that this court intends to mount a frontal attack on the executive branch. One of the most consequential rulings of the court's just completed term denied the Environmental Protection Agency the authority to issue regulations needed to combat climate change. It doesn't take long to find the common denominator in the court's recent decisions. Support causes promoted by Donald Trump's Republican Party and weaken or outlaw causes favored by the Democratic Party. Consider gun laws. The court's radical wing listens closely to the pro-gun lobby. So, though a recent epidemic of mass shootings created such a national outcry that even some Republicans supported a new federal gun law, the court compensated the National Rifle Association for the loss by striking down a long-standing New York law that placed strict restrictions on carrying concealed handguns. New York State immediately passed new gun laws that are likely to end up before the Supreme Court. And it's funny to describe it that way. When among people who say they don't care about the decisions of the Supreme Court and are throwing the court's legitimacy into doubt, the Supreme Court also did not in any way compensate the NRA by making this decision. The NRA's situation had absolutely nothing to do with the decision. But you always have to point at an enemy and you can't point at the Constitution or else everyone will figure it out. So what you do is find proxies. You find the enemies that you can actually beat up so you don't have to admit that what you're going after is actually the Bill of Rights. And so the NRA fits here, as do Donald Trump and Trump supporters. The Supreme Court used to be among the most highly respected institutions in the U.S., through its recent decisions, the extremist majority has now driven its approval rating to a historic low and disapproval of the court to new highs. The dissenting opinion in the case that overturned Roe flatly stated that the majority decision undermines the court's legitimacy. Unfortunately, the minority is likely to remain in the minority for a long time because the extremists are younger and hold a 6-3 majority. So now they're all extremists, all the Republicans are extremists and the minority, the dissenting opinion expresses its own doubt about the court's legitimacy. And we're told that the extremists are the ones threatening the legitimacy. There is only one way to rein in the Supreme Court, throw the Republican Party out of office in a landslide. That would allow Congress to protect through legislation the rights that had been entrusted to the protection of the Supreme Court. It is now clear that doing so was a big mistake. 
Congress must act, starting with protecting a woman's right to choose. If the filibuster must be amended to achieve that, so be it. Now, let's pause for a second. George Soros, when he was a child, helped round up his neighbors to put them onto Nazi trains. It's not something I'm making up. It's not a conspiracy theory. George Soros himself admitted that on 60 Minutes back in the 90s. If you don't believe me, go to the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator, search Soros 60 Minutes. The video will pop up. You can watch it. And I don't want you to trust me on this. I hope you go verify it for yourself so you can understand what kind of person George Soros actually is. He not only admits to doing all that, he says he expresses no doubt or regret or remorse whatsoever. It was the right thing to do. And anyone else in his position would have done the exact same thing. George Soros is also not American. What is he doing saying that we should eliminate the filibuster? So that the Congress, which could not possibly be Democrat if we have legitimate elections, could then protect a woman's right to choose, which is the euphemism for a woman's right to kill the fetus growing inside her. We need to at least be honest about what's happening here. He wants America to throw the Republican Party out of office in a landslide. The Democrat Party is destroying the country in front of everyone's eyes. We are seeing historic low approval numbers for every Democrat related institution and their policies. But somehow George Soros believes there is potential that the Democrats could win the 2022 midterms in a landslide. Why does he believe that? Is George Soros involved with a worldwide system of election fraud that is implemented in country after country after country after country. Yes, in fact, he is. And I've laid all that out many, many times on this podcast. And you don't have to believe me about that either. Use a non-Google, non-DuckDuckGo, like a real search engine. I use Jibiru, which you can find by going to virtualmirage.org. And once you are in an open information environment, Type in Soros or Open Society Foundation and a given country. Go ahead and look at Myanmar. Look at Burkina Faso. Study Soros's history about funding armed resistance to legitimate governments and running an election fraud system to bring in illegitimate governments. It happens all over the world. They are basically mirror situations. The same playbook that has been run here has been run elsewhere many times and is being run elsewhere currently as we speak. But every place you can find a major presence of the global communist order and people like George Soros, people like Bill Gates, you can also find disputed elections on the basis of fraud. And the narratives about these disputed elections essentially mirror the narrative about our stolen election here. You can read about all of this just using Reuters and see, oh, wow, these situations are all similar. And, oh, he has either armed and organized protest groups, in quotes, like Antifa and Black Lives Matter, or they have terrorist organizations if you're in the Middle East or in Africa, all funded all aiding in the overall election narrative, or you have cartels. 
And then you begin to see these organizations as private armies of the global communists used to harass and intimidate citizens of countries all around the world so that they will go along with the election outcomes that they are told are legitimate. But sure, we need George Soros's advice on how to run the country. But when it comes to organizing a landslide victory against the radicalized Republicans, opponents face almost insuperable obstacles. Republicans have not only stacked the Supreme Court and many lower courts with extremist judges in states such as Florida, Georgia and Texas. They have enacted a raft of laws that make voting very difficult. Actually, they do not make voting very difficult at all if you are a real legal American citizen who is eligible and registered to vote. Voting is quite easy and we don't need mail-in votes to make that possible. Everybody can just go vote, put the precincts everywhere like they used to be and get rid of these ridiculous election centers. Every word in this article is dripping with dishonesty. The new election laws are not even good. They don't go nearly far enough. And by far enough, I mean to provide confidence that the outcome we are given represents the actual will of the people. While these laws focus on disenfranchising African-Americans and other minorities and young voters generally, their ultimate goal is to help Republicans win elections. As a Florida federal judge recently wrote in striking down one of these laws, they were enacted with the intent to restructure Florida's election system in ways that favor the Republican Party over the Democratic Party. And the only way to accept that statement as true is if the laws that were in place and the rules under which elections were run, which may have been unlawful and unconstitutional, are deemed to have violated the Constitution. No one is trying to disenfranchise anyone except for people who should not be voting. And the truth is, the problem isn't whether the people who should not be voting are voting. It's whether those people get registered and then the Uniparty casts votes in their name. These laws would be bad enough if they only targeted who can vote. But Republicans are now going even further by attacking the vote counting and election certification process from changing the law to make subversion of the electoral system easier to recruiting believers in Trump's big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him to oversee the process. We are watching Republicans attack our system of democracy from every angle. And here, too, the radical Supreme Court has done its part, gutting the Federal Voting Rights Act and allowing naked partisan redistricting to weaken minority voting power. Now, as I discussed last week, the partisan redistricting by Democrats was done to create minority districts where they knew they could steal enough minority votes to always have a Democrat in that place. Democrats have always been redistricting on the basis of race, which is why they're upset that Republicans are making it so that redistricting is not done on the basis of race. And what is George Soros saying when he's talking about our system of democracy? Does he mean the United States? Is George Soros part of the United States? This isn't our system of democracy in any way. But wait, what have I been saying is the definition of our democracy from the global communists and people like Soros 
and politicians in the American Uniparty? Well, our democracy means George Soros's election theft apparatus. I've been saying this forever, and now he's saying it too. How nice. Fortunately, I am not alone in claiming that the survival of democracy in the U.S. is gravely endangered. The American public has been aroused by the decision overturning Roe. But the people need to recognize that decision for what it is, part of a carefully laid plan to turn the U.S. into a repressive regime, particularly targeting women regardless of the devastating consequences. That's what's happening in the United States of America, really. People don't seem to think that. Protests have already stopped. The polling doesn't suggest that. Only people like George Soros and the media that represents the point of view of the global communist order say things like this. The nation has been aroused by the decision. Yeah, I guess you could say that. But he's trying to imply that the nation is rising up in resistance to this awful Supreme Court decision. And that's just not true at all. We must do everything we can to prevent that. This fight ought to include many people who voted for Trump in the past. I am a supporter of the Democratic Party, but this is not a partisan issue. It is about reestablishing a functioning two-party political system, which is at the core of American democracy. Now, the two-party system is absolutely not at the core of American democracy. If it was, it would be in the Constitution. It's not. In fact, many of the founders disliked even the notion of factions whatsoever. And there's an argument there, an interesting one. But leaving that aside, why does George Soros want a functioning two-party system? Well, that's because when you corrupt and compromise enough members of both parties, then they will all unite and work together for the entity that has compromised and corrupted them. George Soros and the American Uniparty benefit from the two-party system as it exists right now. As controlled opposition, it is the uniparty. They only push everything always in the direction of the global communist agenda, or I'm sorry, the liberal world order, as Brian Deese, one of Joe Biden's advisors, says. And sorry to repeat that so often, but it's important because, you know, I know I make conspiracy theory for calling it the global communist order and it is totally okay when Brian Deese from Joe Biden's administration calls it the liberal world order. So I don't want to upset anybody with conspiracy theories. A functioning two-party system to George Soros means that everything goes back to the way it was before Trump, when they had the entire system set up exactly the way they wanted it to be set up. They had infiltrated at the secretary of state level, DAs, attorneys general, governors, political parties, politicians on both sides. They literally run Democrats as Republicans just by putting an R next to their name. And we've seen this exposed again and again, most recently by Project Veritas multiple times. We can see it when rhinos bend over and do whatever they're told by the liberal media. Ooh, pass gun laws, get rid of people's Second Amendment rights. John Cornyn said it's better to do something rather than nothing. So we're going to do this something. All of this benefits George Soros and all of it ensures that people don't question their elections. 
when they get bad candidates in office that they know none of their friends and neighbors actually voted for, that they know almost no one could have possibly voted for, they still accept it because they trust the elections. And that's what George Soros needs. That's why he installs his election apparatus everywhere, because he wants to preserve his democracy. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!